We pick up right there. Later, two women who were prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, please, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. We were together. There was no one else with us in the house. Only the two of us were in the house. Then this woman's son died in the night because she laid on him. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your servant slept. She laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my son, I saw that he was dead. When I looked at him closely in the morning, clearly it was not the son I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living son is mine and the dead son is yours. The first said, no, the dead son is yours and the living son is mine. So they argued before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son who is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, not so, your son is dead and my son is the living one. So the king said, bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living boy in two, then give half to the one and half to the other. But the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because compassion for her son burned within her, please, my Lord, give her the living boy. Certainly do not kill him. The other said, it shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide it. Then the king responded, give her the living boy. Do not kill him. She is his mother. All Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to execute justice. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you to God. I'm guessing that you've all heard the phrase wisdom of Solomon before. Solomon is on some levels a larger figure in legend and myth and lore than David is. David is a big deal inside the church. You know, we're going to talk about the city of David. We're going to talk about a child born of David's lineage, all of that in Advent and Christmas. But Solomon can inspire things like Indiana Jones movies. Solomon has famous gold mines. Solomon has the Ark of the Covenant. Solomon has wisdom. Solomon has all these things. People are still looking for Solomon's treasure today. And so part of our task is to kind of filter what's in Scripture and what's out here somewhere in legend. And so what we get is, is Solomon today. He's gone to worship at Gibeon. There is no temple yet. Solomon has not built the temple yet. David was stopped from building the temple. The ark is in Jerusalem, but this seems to be where Solomon goes for worship. It tells us he offers a thousand burnt offerings there, and then he has a dream. On some levels, it's kind of like that dream where you win the lottery, or you find the magic lamp and you rub it and the genie comes out. God says, what do you want? I'll give you anything. I think most of us have played that game in our heads of if we had three wishes, what would we ask for? Some of us become very technical and ask for two things and then ask for three more wishes. Um, and if we're feeling altruistic or if we're feeling like somebody's watching us, we may ask for you know world peace. We may ask for an end to hunger, for everyone to have safe, clean drinking water, something like that. You know, something impossible. And Solomon kind of falls into that altruistic camp. 
in this one. His, his answer is much more polished than I have ever been able to give in a dream or in real life. God, you've been so good to me. You've been so good to my father. Notice that he kind of skips right over parts of his father's history that we talked about last week. Oh, my father, David, who was upright and righteous and, and wonderful and steadfast in every way. Yeah, Solomon, we read last week's passage. Um, Solomon leans heavily into what God has done and simply asks for something that will let him do right. Uh, he asks for wisdom. God comes back to him and says, that's a good answer. And so I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to give you all the other stuff you didn't ask for as well. Now, at the end of verse 14, there's an if about if you do this, then you'll get longevity and things like that. That's, that's the only conditional in the passage. He's going to get wealth. He's going to get power. Whether he gets long life, that, that's up for some debate. In Sunday school, we, we discussed that depending on the, how the tone of God's voice is in verse 14. So if you behave just like your dad, well, what do we mean by that? Who knows? We'll give you a long life. Solomon goes from there, after waking up, back to Jerusalem and sacrifices at the Ark of the Covenant because, well, as anybody who's seen an Indiana Jones films knows, that's a powerful piece of furniture. Solomon may not know where he should be, which mountaintop he should be on, but he knows when he needs to see God face to face, the Ark is a great place to start. So we have Solomon, who's now been given wisdom, or is being given wisdom, and we uh, have to figure out how's that going to work. Well, that's the next story. That's the story you all know well. That is the story that many of the parents in the room may have slightly twisted into you cut and you pick, or... If you can't stop fighting over it, neither of you gets it. Two women come before Solomon. They're named as prostitutes in this text, probably to place them outside of anybody's household or control or any other authority who could have solved this problem for them. They've both recently given birth. One says that the other smothered her child, and then swapped babies. And she wants the living child. The other one says, nuh-uh. And it also all basically comes down to, she said, she said. And that's how we've read this story, is that then Solomon makes a great wise decision here. But we neglect a lot of the subtext in this story. We have warnings all the time, about the dangers of sleeping next to your infant, right? Those of you who've been parents, what is your number one fear early in the life of your child? You know, this is it. This is the number one fear is that somehow our child will die. And the way we tell this story, focusing it on Solomon, always neglects the actual pain of the story. The actual pain. 
the scripture is really good at not telling us which woman is actually the right one. Which one actually has a living child and which one has a dead child? At the beginning, it's the first woman and the second woman. Then Solomon says, give it to the one whose child is alive. Give the live child to the one whose child is alive. Thanks, Solomon. But never delineates whether that's the first or the second woman. And so we have this this thing that's happening here. Talked about it in Sunday school. Is this first woman telling the truth? This is what happened. The other lady rolled over on her child, and then they swapped bodies. Or is she projecting what she would have done because she rolled over and smothered her child? We don't know. It's not anywhere in there. We know that people are complicated. People are messy. And real life is painful. So here we sit, and Solomon has to make this decision with basically she said, she said, as the sum total of the information he has. So he he does what we would all do. He says, go get me my sword, right? Clearly, that's how we're going to solve this problem. Let's get this laid out so I can do this cleanly and evenly. I mean, do you wonder, does he do it like a left half and a right half, a top half and a bottom half? What's he thinking? It doesn't matter, does it? And when that happens, one of the women says, don't. Give the child to her, but let the child live. And that's how Solomon determines that she is the mother of the child. The other one says something that we had a hard time believing any mother would say. Oh, sure, just chop them in half. I can't have it. You can't have it. We'll each take half. The oddest thing about this passage, though, is the echoes in it. So I don't know how tightly you listened to what I was reading. Lots of places in the Old Testament talk about God guarding our going out and our coming in, our laying down and our rising. And Solomon says, I don't even know how to do that. Solomon says, I'm just a kid. Well, Isaiah tries that. And God says, do not say to me, I am just a child. Jesus says, let the little children come unto me. I don't know if you caught it. I only caught it reading the text this time for this Sunday, there are two baby boys born three days apart, and one will live and one will die. Not that we know anything about three days and life and death. Abraham and Isaac, Jesus, the cross and the empty tomb, Jonah and the whale. Um. This passage really echoes, if we know our scripture, it really, really echoes. Um, You can even draw one more connection with the woman who will give up her son that he may live. Sounds an awful lot like Moses' mother, doesn't it? 
I'm going to give him up. He's not going to live with me, but he's going to live. And that changes a lot of things in that part of the story. So this story echoes in ways beyond, isn't Solomon wise? Which is the conclusion that all of Israel comes to, and we decided they were very easily impressed. And then we wondered, we wondered more about the backstory, because we always focus this story on Solomon and his wisdom. We don't focus it on the real people. You know, the stories of Jesus doing healings are all named after the person who's healed. The healing of blind Bartimaeus, the man born blind. The leper, the crippled man, the woman with the bleed. This one's named after Solomon. I mean, we, if we did the New Testament the way we're doing this one, we go, well, that's the time when Jesus did the thing, and that's the time Jesus did the thing, and that's the time Jesus did the thing. Right? It would get very confusing very quickly. We wondered about the house that Solomon grew up in and how much he knew the backstory of his family. Because obviously he's glossing over David's imperfections here. We wondered, we wondered if he knew he was essentially the rainbow child for the child cursed for David's infidelity. We wondered if he knew that his mother, Bathsheba, the queen, knew what it was to grieve a child. It's in the story. We just don't know if they talked about it or not. We know that some families do, and we know that some families don't. I wonder how much that fits into Solomon's decision between a woman who says, yeah, sure, I'll take half. And a woman who says, I'll take nothing as long as he lives. I think that, that may really be Solomon's wisdom here, not, oh, look, he figured out, chop it in half. But that he understood the cost of loss. He understood the pain of the people in front of him, and that enabled him to do something different. But that's not how we tell this story. We tell this story as though Solomon's some genius, right? Well, maybe. I'm going to tell you that somebody who gets 700 wives and 3,000 concubines does not rank as a genius in my book. That seems set up to fail. What I want to invite us into this week is to, again, read these texts, not just as we have read them for years, but with the power of the actual word on the page. To hear the difference in three days being a son who is alive and a son who is dead. Again. To pull last week's painful story and confrontation between Nathan and David into the life of David and Bathsheba's son 
the king. To remember that these are not just stories. These are not fables. These are not just parables. The way this story is told, these are two people struggling with perhaps the greatest pain they could know at this stage of their lives. Scripture is powerful because it continues to speak to us. We got to continue to listen, but it continues to speak. And so as we hear of Solomon, yeah, he's wise. He's going to be rich. He's going to be powerful. His son is going to have the kingdom divided out from under him. It's not going to last. He's a son who comes out of pain, out of loss, out of grief. He is not the one we all talk about, right? I mean, everybody talks about, we want David. We want David. Even though there was none like him before him and none like him after. We know this story. in a phrase that doesn't carry the depth and the power of the story. And I invite us to go back to the primary source document and read the story in all of its power, in all of its glory, in all of its human messiness, and see the power of God revealed, not in a perfect portrayal of David and a perfect portrayal of Solomon, but in the painful messiness of the lives that we both live and see lived and want to avoid and yet know are terribly real. The gospel is in this passage in the messiness of lives and the fact that God's presence is in the middle of it. And we need to remember that for the messiness of our own lives as well. And that is the wisdom of the day. To God alone be the glory of this day and forevermore. Amen.